Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Blazers Edge podcast, and well, we've got a few new additions to the roster, and with that, I've brought in, uh, last week we obviously had Nakai Duncan on to talk about the acquisition from the Miami Heat, or free agent acquisition, in Derek Jones Jr. This week, we're talking about Harry Giles, the third. You gotta make sure you get the third in there, because there's two others. I, I don't know. Listen, the number thing never really made sense to me. Anyways, from the Kings Herald Managing Editor, uh, all-around good dude, and uh, Sacramento Kings masochist? I think, I think that's the, the proper <laughs> Greg Wisson Gurr. We're going to make sure hard, hard, hard on the Gurr because uh, otherwise it's T-I double G-R, right? And that's, that's, that's what I'm going to go with. A little, a little Winnie the Pooh. Is that is that the, way, the, the proper proper way? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great way to remember it. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, man, we're, we're, we're a pro Winnie the Pooh, pro Tigger uh, podcast. That's that's That was the my jam growing up. But thanks for joining me, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Always happy to come on. Listen, um... I don't. I'm not gonna have. I'm not gonna lie. I'm gonna make jokes about the Kings. I'm, oh, I'm, so will I. It's kind of my whole thing. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it is what it is. Kind of a situation as far as that goes. And so let's let's start off with the crappy part of this. Why Harry Giles Jr. was an unrestricted free agent. So for those, let me, let me yeah. throw this out there for everybody else who doesn't know. Harry Giles Jr. should have been a restricted free agent next year. Yeah, next not year. even this year. <laughs> Remember, him and Zach Collins were drafted in the same draft. Yeah. The Kings should have at least one more year and then restricted free agent rights. Instead, a guy who really looked promising before the season shut down uh, is gone for nothing. Literally well, nothing, and, and not just that, but uh, uh, Zach was actually drafted with the tenth pick, which was the Kings, and they traded back and used one of those picks they traded back with to get Harry Giles and so, Justin yeah. Jackson. <laughs> yeah. So uh, why so all of this? Yes. Why did thanks, this all come together? This is all thanks to the the brilliant uh, management of Lottie Divots, who. Um, you know, great Sacramento Kings player, horrible Sacramento Kings GM, and it, no longer with the franchise. Uh, last summer, Harry Giles, according to the team, maybe didn't come back to camp in the best shape or the shape they wanted him to be in. And that was when they had the opportunity to pick up his fourth year option, which is a no brainer for anyone who is able to play productive minutes on the basketball court. A pulse. Uh, yeah, basically, to teach Harry a lesson was Divac's thinking. Uh, they didn't pick up the option, and it, it's unclear whether or not he knew it at the time, but it, it's probably a fair bet that Divac did not realize at the time the full ramifications of what it would do, that not only would it make Harry Giles an unrestricted free agent, 
it would also hamstring the Kings in their ability to pay him anything more than like 3.9 million in their base, like first year salary of a mm. new contract. Like it basically made it impossible for him to stay with the team. If there was any interest whatsoever in him in the market. So <laughs> and for, for those keeping track at home, it, it's, Probably also not even like top five of Divas' worst decisions <laughs> during his time with the Kings, just to put it all in context. Good God. Okay, so what I'm thinking is we'll start off with with basically all of the awful to <laughs> to get things going, and then we'll we'll build to the fluffier, friendlier, nicer stuff at the yeah, in the middle and the end. This is this is your uh, your superhero backstory, um, stupidity by an organization. Giles, maybe not making the best choice in the summer after having some ups and downs with the Kings, mostly due to injuries. And let's kind of get into that here. There have been, at least I've heard that there have been a couple different situations about his the handling of his injuries and whether he's been ready, whether or not he's been ready, what the injury actually was. It's kind of gone on for a couple years what what's kind of been your take as far as how the Kings handled him in, in that regard? Sure. And I mean, the short version of it is that they definitely handled him with kid gloves uh, from the, the get go. Now the, the longer version is that Harry Giles was once the number one high school basketball prospect in the country. Mm-hmm. He was highly regarded and you watch his high school tapes and it, it just jumps off the page. And obviously it's high school, but it's, you can still see what made him special. Uh, he then had, two different knee injuries on the same knee he went to duke and played a handful of games but not much and realistically he shouldn't have even played that year at duke if he was truly rehabbing but the idea was to show enough that he was recovered to try to get drafted Mm -hmm. the kings drafted him at 20th knowing that he had this injury history and this was also part of what made vladi's decision not to pick up that fourth year option so crazy is that the Kings essentially redshirted him mm-hmm. what would have been his rookie year. They didn't let him play at all. They had him play in practice. They had him work in rehab. They had him work with trainers and really build up uh, his lower body strength and you know just kind of make sure that everything was on track to where he'd be good. And he had some setbacks and some other injuries, and you know some of that you know may have just been how badly the Kings' seasons were going. Some of it, and playing it cautious. Some of it may have been other things, but. Uh, they definitely were very careful with him. Any little thing they didn't have him push through, they they took it slow. And so because of that, there were times when he missed some time. But there was also nothing that screamed like, okay, this guy's never going to be able to stay on the floor. Mm-hmm. Yes, there there's concerns and there's risks and there's things you're watching, but a lot of it was because they were being so cautious. And so essentially they – let him go after two years of on-court play. I mean, it was such a, a small window of time to actually see what he could do. And that just kind of compounded how insane that decision was. Because most 22 year olds are done developing years, you know, yeah. especially after a red shirt year. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the nuggets really should just let Michael Porter jr. Go right now. Right. That, that's, that's really what should be happening if we're being honest. Okay. So we've got ineptitude. We've got, basically a red shirt year and then you've got these flashes from giles and just to kind of touch on the injury stuff he's a different athlete now than he was pre-injury but but there's then there's a big but there he's still a a a baby deer with at that size 
he still moves and glides like guys 6'10 shouldn't be able to do. Like, when you watch him, he's, you still put him up there in that upper echelon for guys that size, yes? Yeah, I mean, if you knew nothing of his backstory and just saw him running mm-hmm. around a basketball court, you'd never know that this was a guy with multiple serious knee injuries. He does not move like a guy with major knee trouble. No. And, and this is what I think, I think a lot of people, especially in Portland, dear God, we hear knee surgery in Portland and we're like, <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ, are you kidding me? Like, no, no, another big guy knees, no. Okay. He's picked up some knocks and some little things here or there, but there haven't been knee issues that have keep like coming back, right? Yeah, no, no major knee issues, no major setbacks. I mean, he's had times when he sat with like swelling in the knee, and again, they've been extremely cautious. They have not had him in a position where they tried to push him through any sort of knee discomfort or knee pain, just given his history. They were very cautious. Um, now, whether or not he could have gone or would have gone, I mean, that that you're knows? splitting yeah. hairs, right? Exactly. It's just they were very careful with him. But in general, no, he has not had any serious knee issues that really shut him down to the point where you're like, okay, here we go again. All right, so let's kind of roll things back a little bit. Let's talk about Harry Giles, the player. When we're talking about Harry Giles, I think a lot of guys assume that he's just this, what used to be explosive rim runner, and that's kind of the limit of his game. Which, mm-hmm. like, if let's let, let's put him on on par with somebody else that was had the same kind of profile that went high, like a like a Nerlens Noel, mm-hmm. because I think that's what people think he is. Which in reality, I think he's something drastically different. Um, yeah. When you look at him, what is like if you had to summarize him and and, and talk about his game? What what are the things that you want to drive home when you talk about Harry Giles? The thing that I think. Blazers fans are going to fall in love with the most isn't anything to do with his scoring. His passing there it is. is unreal. <laughs> I mean, it, it, he's like, I mean, and, and this is going to sound extreme, but I, I sincerely mean it's like poor man's Nikola Jokic as far as the passing goes. Yeah, no, you're, like, I, don't, I don't think you're being extreme for everybody who thinks like, oh, uh, I, I don't, I think he's a one of the premier. If I had to, if I had to knock him down, if you again the poor man's Jokic, I'd put him yeah. on par with Sabonis, as as a as a playmaker. Yeah, I mean, just the passing, the vision, the anticipation. I mean, he is so fluid with the ball in his hands as far as finding guys, finding cutters. It's something I felt like the Kings should have always utilized more, and it's. It's incredible. I mean, when he gets the opportunity to operate out of the high post, I mean, he can find guys. And he also has those other scoring skills. Like, he can hit, you know, a a 10, 15-foot jumper. He can take a guy off a dribble to where, you know, the passing is just an element of what he can do there. But it's incredible when he starts moving the ball around. So, uh, for anybody listening, there will be another piece coming alongside this. It's another video piece that's going to break down exactly a lot of stuff that we're talking about right here. And as I was sitting here watching the tape on Giles, what jumped out to me is, number one, how stupidly effective he is at the elbows, both as a playmaker, facilitator, a guy in a DHO who makes the right read, whether to tuck it or whether to hand it off, or if he's extended a little bit further, put it on the floor twice and get to the rim and finish. Like, he's, like again, when we talk about his athleticism, it's not just his leaping ability. He he has strides like Kevin Durant. He's 6'10". Like, he he closes distance offensively. And I don't think there's a lot of guys that big in the league, especially, like, you know, quote-unquote centers, 
who can put the ball on the floor and not scare the crap out of you as a coach. Like that's, I think that's a real thing. Like he puts the ball down and you're not like, Oh God, please. No, it's, Oh yeah, no, he's going to finish at the rim because he, he kind of glides. And I, I see in this for, this is more of a reference for, for Blazers fans. I see he moves more like Nick Batum at six ten. Like he just kind of glides and gets to his spots. And then he wants to finish with power. But the thing that I noticed over and over and over again, willing cutters are rewarded with this guy. If you run split cuts, if you run back cuts, if you run off down screens, not only did, and this is the thing, I think there's a lot of guys in the league who can see the pass. It's to make the pass at the right time in the right spot. He throws touch passes, two-handed touch passes over the top to Buddy more times than I can count. He finds Harrison yeah. Barnes with bounce passes in traffic. God knows how many times. He finds, uh, uh, was it, I think it was Bogey a couple different times over the top with these little lead passes, like a quarterback, you know, throwing back shoulder fades. And it's like, those are pinpoint passes over tall defenders, quick defenders, guys who jump in passing lanes, guys who were playing soft on him and, you know, basically forcing him to shoot. And he still finds those angles and he still finds those pockets. Why do you think that, the, other than health, why do you think the Kings didn't really maximize that? I really wish I knew. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, so, well, I will say that if we're talking about all the positives with Charles, mm-hmm. yeah, we also we'll, have to We'll get into the negatives right. too, that's for sure. And, so. and I think that that is kind of a transition into why he probably didn't see the court as much as he maybe should have that, you know, his, after his red shirt year, it was Dave Yeager for his true rookie year. Mm -hmm. And then that switched to Luke Walton for last season. And I think both of them had the same gripe with him and and that's on the defensive end. Mm -hmm. Um, Under Yeager, it was an issue with foul trouble where Harry was a defender who would, you know, attack, his man and, and play aggressive defense, but he never figured out how to do it without fouling. So his foul rate was just through the, through roof. the roof. As that should sound familiar to Blazers fans. Well, and and it's a common issue with young big men, right? Yeah, I mean, it's something pretty, you have to grow. Like, th- especially if you're an of, aggressive defender. Yes, I can't think of a young big that's come in the league and not just racked up fouls. And then uh, last year. Harry's solution to that seemed to be that, well, if I'm going to get called for a foul, I will not defend them. <laughs> and he kind of became a matador on defense. Ole, 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 ole. Yeah. So his defensive rating numbers like are, are abysmal last season because he just was like, well, if I'm going to get called for a foul and I want to stay on the floor, I can't foul. So I won't contest at the rim. And, and obviously you got to try to figure out that middle ground. And, and I think, better coaching could probably help him unlock that. Um, But yeah, I think that the defensive end is a big reason why the Kings did not utilize him more for his offensive gifts. Just because he's given up so much. And then we'll we'll get into his defense a little bit here. Yeah. So he's a very bad offensive rebounder, like non-existent for a guy his size Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. the, I think he's the bottom 10%. Or 10th percentile. He just, for whatever reason, doesn't make any sense. Because if you look at his defensive rebound rate, it's through the roof. This last year, I think he was at like 26%. Mm-hmm. Which, you, that puts you in like the, you know, upper 
10, 12%. That's really good. Then I look at his block rate and it's non-existent. Mm-hmm. But then you look at his steal rate and he's back in like the upper quarter again. And you're like, no, this doesn't make sense. This isn't adding up. Like he gets in passing lanes and he rebounds defensively, but he doesn't really go after the offensive glass, like even at all. And he doesn't challenge shots. So that kind of plays into, I think, what, what you're talking about with like, mm, I think I'm just, not, I'd, I'd rather not do that, Bob. I want to stay on the floor and, and, you know, not pick up an over the back foul on an offensive rebound or yeah. challenge a shot and pick up a foul and get taken off the floor. You have to wonder how much Jaeger, uh, maybe browbeat that a little bit to an extent, or the hook was so short with him in that time period that he's just got that burned into his head, which eh, coming to Portland, it's not exactly an endearing sign because who young bigs with foul trouble get short hooks here too. <laughs> so yeah, about that. But I mean, you have to at least look at him and go, he has the profile to be at least a passable defensive big. Yeah. I absolutely think he could. And, you know, again, the problem his rookie year was he would play really good defense, but he didn't know how to do it without the refs calling a foul. Uh, and that's a learned skill. Mm-hmm. And I think that if he, he had people to, to work with, I mean, the other thing you got to remember with Harry is that he essentially missed the majority of his junior and senior year of high school with mm-hmm. injuries. And then didn't really play like, in college. Barely played in college, red shirted year. So even though, you know, he's, at the age he should have some of these things starting to develop, he's still a little behind the curve as far as just the minutes and the reps and the learning and, and all those different pieces. So I think he could be a passable defender. I think to your point, he's smart enough. He knows the game. He knows the angles, all those different pieces. I think it's fine tuning on getting him engaged to where he's actually playing defense, you know, first part, and then teaching him how to do it without getting whistled every time. Okay. So we know about, Giles's major plus, which is his playmaking, which is a major, major plus. And it's, when I look at him and the way, and we'll talk about how he gets on the floor here in a minute, but when I look at him, I go, listen, him at the five, and he's a five in your mind, yes? I think he's more better, I think he's better suited to the five in the modern game, yes. Yes, just his, his ability as, a, as that, basically that, that cog in a, you know, a four out set where he can play either above the free throw line or, or above the three point line and kind of get, get things done there. I, th- I think that's where he ultimately settles in. But if you have a Robert Covington, you know, at the four uh, mm-hmm. and you get a Gary Trent jr. At the two and you, you, you throw him out there with Derek Jones jr. And CJ, like that's, that's your kind of cobbled together bench unit. where you got some starters, some, some, you know, six man kind of guys where you've got enough defense, but you've got primary ball handlers. You've got cutters, you've got floor spacers where if you have him in the middle of the floor as a secondary initiator, what it could do for your offense could truly unlock it. And I totally agree. And I, I think that kind of that what you're describing there, where you have a, a mixture of, you know, you have some other defenders on the roster who can provide that support. It's not like he ever had that in Sacramento. I mean, Sacramento has no. not had a plethora of elite defenders at really any position. I mean, Ariza was legitimately your best defender. And yeah. he came to Portland. Well, then, not that he cared when he was down there, but right. No, I mean, if he had been playing defense, he yeah, because he came to Portland and played defense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like their best defensive player really last season was probably Corey Joseph. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, <laughs> he tries hard. He just doesn't I mean, have. 
he doesn't have the he doesn't have the profile to like really do anything outside of affecting passing lanes and point guards though right i mean like he he's good at a role yeah like but i mean the kings just don't have a lot of good defenders after that it's probably harrison barnes and that's not a lockdown defender that's a he's a team defender yeah exactly and yeah and then but yeah, there's, <laughs> there's, no, there's nobody bailing him out, basically. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's, you know, guards are playing Ole defense to funnel it into Giles, who's also playing Ole defense, and it's just not going to work out well. It's like, a, it's like a pinball table where you're just holding everything up at once. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just, yeah, let's see, let's see what happens. Let it bounce. All right, the one thing I know a lot of people question when it comes to Giles is his shooting or, quote-unquote, inability to shoot. Why the hell won't he shoot threes? I don't know that he was ever asked to. I, I really think that's most of it. I mean, so the guy that shot basically like forty-seven percent from mid-range for his mildly short career, but looks competent and is like a plus seventy percent free throw shooter. They're they're, they're not gonna have him just even try try a three. Just nothing. Again, it's the Kings, man. <laughs> Because I'm sitting there watching him, and I'm like, yeah. I've seen guys with a whole lot more going on in their jump shot out there taking at least a, a YOLO three every now and then. Like, <laughs> I, you know what? Let me go ahead. Let me heat check this. I'm having a good night, Bob. Not nothing? Because when I look at him, again, I'm not saying he needs to take three a night. But yeah. if you're putting him in DHOs where he's in or you know above the three-point line, he's the kind of guy where you're just like, yeah. Yeah, because if you sag off and he's got a little bit of something, like a 33% three-point shoot, I'm not asking for 36, 37. I'm just asking, like, passable. You unlock a level to his game that, you know, multifaceted guys like that at that position just don't really exist, no matter how much he gives up on the defensive end. Like, that whole idea is pretty impressive. So it's not just, it's just something that the Kings are just like, nah, we're good. Well, I mean... In their defense, the Kings do have a lot of other three-point shooters. Like, there's a lot of other more proven options. There's Bielitsa, and you've got Barnes who will go in the corner, and obviously Bogey and And Buddy. And, yeah, so I think it was less that... Yeah, Walton's not really a five-out guy. He's more a 3-2 than anything else. (laughs) And, and, I mean, even Jaeger, I mean, it was... Yeah, and even he likes that pushing four four out is tough for him. Yeah, he's as much as he encouraged a lot of threes in his last year here, it still was not what you see in some places where it's really anyone can be taking a three as long as they're hitting them type of deal. Yeah. Which again, in Portland, if you show you've got any proclivity of hitting that shot, you're allowed to take it. Like that's if you told me that Giles was now taking like a three per game and hitting in the mid thirties, it wouldn't shock me a year from now. Like that wouldn't be surprising in the least, but I just don't know that it's ever been something that has been put on him. That's just interesting because, it's again, when you look at a guy who's young, athletic, can put the ball on the floor, is a plus, 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 plus passer, like, clearly his – the weird thing is, I will say this, God-tier finisher at the rim, he's like 80% inside, inside the restricted area. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's stupidly high. Because he finishes with a dunk seemingly every single time. <laughs> I, 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 was, I was sitting there watching the film. I'm like, just watching his interior finishes. I'm like, does he does he ever finish with a layup? It's only, The only time he ever lays the ball up is off like a, like a two or three step drive. 
Like he's never under the rim, like on a putback. Like every one of his putbacks, I swear to God, was a putback dunk. And what for a guy who's got yeah. knee issues, you're like. <laughs> now, were you just watching his makes or were you watching his misses too? Both. Okay, because I, I just tend to notice he does sometimes do layups, but I notice he misses more of them. So I think he just goes for the dunk because, oh, that's way easier. I'll just dunk it. <laughs> and the thing is, like, even if he's missing those layups, he's still, again, yeah. shooting 80% yeah. at the rim. And to, yeah. to your point, where I think those misses are coming from, it's in the paint, not at the rim. Sure. Because yeah. he's, he's really bad there. Yeah, I think he was 31%, 32% in the non-restricted paint. So that in-between game definitely needs some refining. But again, I think he was 48% from mid-range. Yeah, it's weird. He has that weird gap between the rim and where like, it just checks out. Like it's it's no good. Yeah, I can't I can't hit anything there. <laughs> but again, like I said, he, he I think he took like something like 70, 80 mid-range jumpers this past year. No, I think it was 96 is what it came out to. Um and I was like, "Wow, that's to shoot that good and he's I think he's taken six threes in his entire career." Yeah. Uh it's so like this, this doesn't really add up. Okay, so one thing I, I keep hearing is Cantor's not guaranteed the backup minutes. And this is going to address somebody's question in here. I'll, I'll get to it. I'm sorry. I know your your name was one of the ones in here was, you know, which will he get on the floor kind of a deal. Um, and here's the thing. The last time Cantor came to Portland, Cantor was guaranteed 20 minutes. That's how he. That's how the buyout market changed. From everything mm-hmm. I had heard, he was going to Boston before he came to Portland, which – Strangely enough, he ended up in Boston that next season, almost like there was some interest there from both sides. Who knows? (laughs) But the way that I've been told is that he was guaranteed 20 minutes of playing time before Nurk went down even, which was basically Nurk was going to get 28, Cantor was going to get 20. Um, He ended up getting more and can't play Cantor. Played pretty damn well through the playoffs. So happy for both. And obviously there's that weirdness, uh, that free agency, when he was or wasn't given so much time to sign and re-sign and, Portland took got the Godfather offer from Hood and said, "See you later, Cantor." Okay, that's all in the past. Now Cantor is dealt for Boston to make some room. He's basically told he can go to Memphis or Portland. Guess what's not coming with that this time? It's a guarantee of minutes. So, if you're Portland, Mister Greg, do you opt to roll a dice on a Harry Giles, or do you go with what you know in Ennis Cantor? I think the challenging thing is that I'm coming to it from a very different mindset where I'm coming from a perpetual trying to build something team as opposed to a team that is <laughs> kind of right there and trying to get a step further, right? Because, I mean, Cantor, you know what you're getting, good, bad, and everything else mm-hmm. in between. Like, you know how he can help you. You know how he's going to hurt you. It's very easy to game plan for what Cantor is going to do for your team. Harry's a bit more variance, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he he's going to give you some really good. He's going to give you some really bad. There's a lot more upside. So kind of depends on what you're looking for. I mean, if you're looking for something, you know, consistent production, probably lean a little more towards Cantor. If you're looking for, okay, let's see. I mean, we can always go back to Cantor. You know, if, if Harry's not working out, I would lean towards Harry, but that's because I'm going to always be a Harry Giles fan, no matter where he's at. Um, but I think that that's really going to be the difference between how the coaching staff would go about deciding. Okay. So when I look at Giles, I, I see his big plus. This this has, like, 
even before free agency started, I, I hadn't heard Giles' name, but I, it was one of those ones that I penciled in. Because every single thing, you just shoot a flare into the sky that explodes into Neil Olshay signing. Because <laughs> he marks every single thing that Neil O'Shea ever looks for in one of these flyer signings. Number one, has he targeted him before? He legally drafted him. So, yes, he, yeah. <laughs> he's, he, he's on that. Whether, whether or not that's who Sacramento won or that's who Portland won, I don't care. He has been attached to Neil O'Shea before. Has he had an injury that he's recovered from? Yes, yes, he has. Okay, um, does he play for the Sacramento Kings? Yes? Oh, okay, then that's another one. Because basically, if you've played for the Sacramento Kings or the Cleveland Cavaliers, there's a 34% chance increase and you being a Neil O'Shea target. And then it was one of those things where, okay, we ticked all those boxes, which makes him like a 98% chance that he's on the, the Neil O'Shea shortlist. What else does he do? Oh, he passes? Who did Portland trade for? Robert Covington, can't pass. Who did the Blazers sign? Derek Jones Jr., can't pass. And you're like, huh, let's see. You're going to start Dame C.J. Nurk, good passer. Uh, probably Hood, maybe Derek Jones Jr., depending on how they view Hood's health, and Robert Covington. You're like, so Damon CJ just going to handle the ball 98% of the time, right? And you're like, no, they, they can't do that. And if you're looking at the second unit, they didn't go out and sign another point guard. And whether or not you want to say CJ is going to be the backup point guard, which he is, they still need somebody to work as a secondary facilitator. And to me, that's just its a giant neon sign behind Harry Giles. Like, hey, that thing that I do really well? Yeah, let's, let's, let's use that. Because the Blazers have tried. <clears throat> Preseason Mario Hazonia last year. Uh, quite a few of us bought into that. Everybody, I think, kind of bought into it because he looked really good. Not just competent, really good. It was like, I can see him being a secondary ball handler as the eighth, ninth guy. Sure. And then that didn't work. But I look at Harry Giles in the same way. Like, I could run my secondary offense through this guy off the bench, right? Yeah, I don't think that would be crazy. And I'd love to see a team try that for an extended stretch. I, again, I'm a big believer in Harry. I have seen what he can do with the ball in his hands. And, and I mean, we've seen other teams that can do that with big men. Obviously, Denver's the biggest example. Yeah. I mean, Jokic most of the time is their point guard. Like, even though he's also their center, like on their offensive set, it runs primarily through him. I think you could do a very similar thing with Giles. And obviously, again, poor man's version, it's not going to be the exact same, but the vision, the passing, it's all there. And like I said, you get cutters, you get guys moving around, he's going to find them. And you alleviate some pressure off C.J. McCollum, who led the league in minutes last year. You alleviate the pressure off Damian yeah. Lillard, who was second in the league in minutes played per night. Like, Portland is short on primary ball handlers, and I know they believe in Anthony Simons. I do. It's not a, that's not a, a, a shocking revelation here. But if you're talking about playmaking, you have two absolute no-doubters in Damon C.J. You've got Mello, who can work as a initiator or finisher, and then I think you've got Giles. I'm, honestly, Giles is probably the second or third best passer on the team. Mm-hmm. Now, playmaker, mm, I, I think you can argue that that, that Damon CJ are firmly ahead of him. But I, I don't. That's not really necessarily a knock on him because I think CJ really is more of a point guard than anything else. Uh, I'm going to steal half of this question here because we've already addressed part of it. Uh, this is from Josh Sargent. Uh, what's the ceiling slash floor on Giles at this point? Like, what's your what's your realistic ceiling, and what's your 
hey, I could really see this ceiling. So I mean, we've kind of talked about it a little bit already. I mean, I think really the the ceiling is going to be based on can he become solid enough on defense that that doesn't limit his minutes, right? That he's not just a, a total sieve on the defensive end, you know, can provide something there other than six fouls. If he can Which do that, is valuable a lot. Um, but yeah, I really think that if you found a way to run like a secondary unit through him, you know, out of the high post, I think that kind of what we've been talking about. I think that's optimizing him. That's getting the most out of his skill set. Now, as far as other skills he could develop, he has a shooting touch. I, I don't think that there's, you know. A, a hard ceiling on like where he's at now is what he'll always be as a shooter or a scorer. I think that there's room to grow throughout his game. I mean, I, I really think that he's got a, a lot of potential. Now he is coming from behind the curve. Like he missed some key development years. And so, you know, he would probably never be, you know, a, an elite big man in the NBA just for that reason. I mean, just, you know, time is not on his side. Injury history is not on his side. But I think he can be a very solid bench player. And, you know, if there's injuries or just if you found a creative way to use him, I don't see any reason why he couldn't be a starting big man in the NBA. Ooh, I like it. I, I mean, realistically, when you look at his profile, a rotation, like, no doubt, first big off the bench, shouldn't mm-hmm. be an unrealistic thing for him with yeah, him. Not at all. Not at all. Like, there, there just, just aren't many 6'10 dudes who are – plus passers who can put the ball on the floor and knock down a mid-range shot. Like when mm-hmm. you look, when you start checking, checking those boxes at 610, the list gets really short, really fast. They just, they just yeah. don't exist. Like as much as I love Jokic, Jokic isn't putting the ball on the floor and attacking a closeout. If he is, it's very slowly and usually with a jumper over the top of somebody. It's not to get by and finish at the rim. Big Honey isn't, you know, Euro stepping to the rim and finishing with, you know, two hands over somebody. I watched Giles do that. And I was like, that, that's <laughs> pretty decent. You know, okay. I don't I, pulls the ball back of a DHO with both defenders go over the top. And he's just like, cool, two step Euro and then two handed flush. And it was like, good Lord. Like that's, that's an elite level skill set at that size. I mean, you don't get guards doing that kind of stuff, let alone a guy at six ten. So I'm sure you're well aware of this. The flashes of potential with him have been dumb high when he does something when you're just like, I did that multiple times watching his film, both on the offensive end and on the defensive end, to be fair. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where if he's playing in a game, like for more than just a, a handful of minutes, like he's going to do at least one thing that like blows you away. Now, it's not every play and it's not the consistency that it would take to, to be like a, an actual star player or anything like that. But like I said, I mean, you can see those glimpses of what he can do. Mm-hmm. It's like, man, if, if the right team figures out how to unlock this, he's such a, a fun player to watch. And I'll, I'll say this, like with, with this whole idea of like, why didn't the Kings do this? That's I think that's what I want. What I'm going to title the podcast. Why didn't the Kings do this? Um, <laughs> Why the hell didn't they use him as a lob threat more often? Does does Fox just not is he in the the Damian Lillard school of not throwing lobs? Because oh no, Fox loves to throw a lob. I, that's what I mean. Like, what, what the hell? Because I sit here and watch him. 
I watched guys miss him on back cuts over and well to be fair i watched buddy miss him on back cuts you just answered your question <laughs> more times than i could count i mean he he's got great natural timing he, mm-hmm. he knows how to he's not uh steven adams as a screener but for a guy who's a little skinny down low he he sets a good screen he, he's not he's not a chump in that department and then he knows how to get to space so it was one of the things i was like Huh, I could see him using it as a lob threat, which uh, I just want Portland to throw lobs. That's that's really all I want. <laughs> and I I don't really remember that much under Walton, but I remember especially his, his first year with Jaeger, they did use him as a screener quite a bit. He would get in some trouble. He uh, had some issues with moving screen. Sticking violation. the hips out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, didn't realize why he was getting whistled for that. Kind of going back to what we were talking about mm. before, that, you know, he had a, a tendency to pick up fouls, and that was another way that he would do that. God, him and Zach Collins really are on the same path, picking up injuries, <laughs> not able to stay on the floor, foul trouble, can't set screens without fouling. It's like one of them plays offense, the other one plays defense. If you put them together, you still have a player who you're like, come on, buddy. Um, we're going to go off basketball here real quick. The wonderful ladies at the We Have a Take podcast, shout out Team Mom, Terrible and Biggs, uh, and all the ladies over there. What is your favorite non-basketball-related fact about Harry Giles? So I don't know if it's necessarily a fact, but fact, story, cool thing, whatever. Yeah, I, Harry Giles is just like the greatest kid. Mm-hmm. Like you are all going to just love rooting for him. You just every little story, every little anecdote you hear is just good stuff. So I'll give an easy example. Yesterday he posted his goodbye to Sacramento and Sacramento Kings fans on, on social media. They did is like a two part post. So the first part. He thanked the Kings for taking a chance on him, for letting him redshirt, for you know the training staff, for all the work they did with him. He spent several sentences thanking the arena staff, like you know the the ushers and like the the back ops people and like the people who never get mentioned in these goodbyes. Mm-hmm. Like he he knew everyone, he was friendly to everyone, he took care of everyone. Like no one has a bad thing to say about Harry Giles, the person ever. I, I've yet to run across that. And then the second piece, he, he was dedicated entirely to the fans and, and how much they made him feel at home in Sacramento. And, and just, I mean, like, he's just an amazing kid. And I'll always be a fan of him for that reason. He's just, you know, a, a bright personality, a good locker room guy. Like, everyone loves Harry. And for anybody who didn't catch him uh, at the Blazers press conference, uh, I can't remember who asked it. I think, I want to say it was Jason Quick of The Athletic. But there's something about a him going to the dentist and like this endearing thing about him wanting to be a dentist growing up uh, or something along those lines. In, anyways, it oh, was yeah. just, it was he's so, always in- said, he's, he said that even back in Sacramento that if he hadn't been an NBA player, he would have probably been a dentist. He made people smile or make people smiles yeah. better. Something along those lines. Like it was like, Oh, that's just, yeah, that's just too damn cute. Like it's yeah. just, and the funny thing is, is, I don't necessarily beat the Blazers up over this because I think it's a good thing for the most part, but I also do kind of beat them over the head with it. I want them to get an a-hole. Like, you can't have a team full of nice dudes. But there's something nice about the fact that they go out like, and I, I talk to players and, and people around the league about about Giles, about Covington, about Derek Jones Jr. And every person I talk to, all they can do is talk about how good they are as people. 
like beyond the basketball stuff. They're like, they're just wonderful people. They're great. Like it doesn't matter who you talk to. And that was the same thing I kept hearing about Giles. Same thing I kept hearing about Covington. Same thing I kept hearing about Jones Jr. Just good, happy, quiet, just fun people. And I was like, you know, when, when things start to suck, those are the kind of things that, that matter. Um, Cause it well, makes the team a little less fun to cut or a little more fun to cover. And, and to alleviate some of your concerns, he can be an a-hole on the court. Like wonderful. Mwah! He has he has a nasty streak. Like he gets competitive. Good. He fired up. He'll talk some trash. Like he he's all about that. Like he has no problem being a little nasty on the floor with you know as far as the competitive side goes. It, I want it, some nasty. I always want some nasty. You know, yeah. like, I, I want guys who want to like Trevor Ariza and the Rudy Fernandez thing literally a decade ago still was one of those things I was like, I don't know if I can take him here. But then he <laughs> he kind of just just started messing with guys, and I'm like, nah, you're just a traditional a-hole, and I love you. Like, it was just one of those things. It was like, you know, I, I, I read the uh, the piece from Kenyon Martin a couple days ago where he was talking about all the, the Europeans and the, can, the reason they can play in the league today is because they can't beat the hell out of them. <laughs> And it, it kind of made me miss the days of the the the, the NBA enforcers. Not, not that I'm looking to hurt somebody, but just somebody who's looking to lay some lumber every now and then, or twist somebody up, or get underneath somebody's skin. Like, there's levels to it. Like Draymond pulled back his 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 stupidity with kicking dudes in the junk, and just started screwing with dudes, which I fully endorse. And then you've got like Patrick Beverly, who's a dirty SOB who takes guys' knees out. And as much as I hate Russ, like I would back Russ in that head-to-head every day because there's again there's levels to being an a-hole, right? I, I mean, there's definitely levels to being an a-hole. I, I rolled my eyes <laughs> pretty hard at the the Kenny Martin thing because it's like, <laughs> I'm sorry, do Stephen Adams screams not exist? Because that dude will lay. Oh no, some yeah. Out. You know, yeah. like I mean, it's like I. I I get tired of people pretending that the NBA. Is oh, not the, the, don't get me wrong. The league is still physical. I'm not saying you. <laughs> yeah. No, but I think there what there is a yeah. finer point in that as far as like there aren't they enough throw fewer punches. Yes, yeah, that and I think there's a little bit less goonery. And I'm not talking about like the cheap fouls. I, I'm talking about you know catching guys with a back screen that they don't see coming. Now. Steven Adams will do that no matter what. I, be- I believe it was Dame who caught it and got whiplash. And somebody mm-hmm. asked him a question about it after a game. Um, oh, no, it might have been in-game. And the, the, somebody, somebody said it was dirty or something like that. And he's like, talk to your teammate, mate. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. like, yeah, he's not wrong. Sorry, dude. Yeah. You just got crushed by literally the strongest guy in the league. That's yeah. – it, it happens. Um I got a couple questions that were kind of all tied in there. So thank you to everybody who, who did send in questions. I didn't get you all worked in because I'm terrible about actually like reading off the questions until like the very end because somebody will say something and I go squirrel and we start running with it. <laughs> so with that, um, thanks for joining us, man. Any any parting Harry Giles wisdom you want to give us? Uh, just please take care of our large adult son. Uh, he's going to be just in Sacramento. <laughs> Uh, Kings fans will definitely be rooting for him. Uh, so, you know, it's going to be bittersweet when we see him uh, in a Blazers jersey, but we you'll see him very soon. Yeah. Opening a preseason <laughs> against you guys. Um, but I mean, I, I feel comfortable speaking for the majority of Kings fans when I say that everyone's rooting for him still. Like, even though he's not wearing a Kings jersey, he's one of those guys that Kings fans are always going to, you know, he's that dude. Yeah, exactly. 
which is understandable. All right, man, this is the part of the show where you get to plug anything and everything you want. Uh, biggest thing is just kingsherald.com. Uh, we're an independent Kings website. We we run it for ourselves, by ourselves, and it's just for Kings fans. And uh, we try to be informative and educational and occasionally funny. And uh, yeah, kingsherald.com. And uh, just try to subside through all the madness that is Kings basketball. I mean, it's fun for an outsider to come in and just kind of see what's happening amongst Kings fans because, like, every day is a new twist and turn. So I, I, I have to tell everybody this. Like, probably once a week I just DM you with just, like, sad news. It's just, <laughs> like, it's usually something along the lines of, please explain this. <laughs> every so often it's just, hey, let me twist this knife. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly because it rolls downhill. <laughs> like, that's that's how this works because there's stuff here that I just – I don't I, – I just shake my head, roll my shoulders, like, why? What, 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 what are we doing here? Mostly, and you know, I'm already dead inside. So <laughs> yes. I'm See, I know you. I know you can commiserate <laughs> on that level. So, all right, at G on Twitter, at G W I S S. Greg, man, thank you for joining us, and thank you everybody else for listening. This is a shorter episode because we have more content coming out, and I'm going to start doing more stuff like this, a little bit shorter, probably better for your work drive. You know that not that hour and a half long podcast you usually get from me. Um, but like, rate, review, subscribe. I iTunes, not iPod. Good lord, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere else you get your podcast. Like, rate, review, subscribe. Do the same thing on all of the social media. Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, all the things. Uh, again, thanks to, again to everybody who came out on for the for the live show. Uh, same for Nakias' uh, video that we did last week, and we'll have more and more content. Until then, guys, thank you very much. Catch you next week. Bye.